right, here we are. Sugar Me the Mooney, episode 32. Today is a chilly December 20th, 2020, uh, here in our area. Um, Sugar, how you feeling? I'm good. I got one one last day of being a regular black person because apparently tomorrow all black people are unlocking our superpowers. I don't know if you've been following that, Mike. But if I get mine, like I could be Superman and you could be my Jimmy Olsen. Um, I'd rather be Perry White. Than um, well, I have no, no idea what you're talking about. You mean like it's like a the winter solstice? No, it's like this, it's like this <laughs> thing on Twitter. Like somebody tweeted, it was like on the morning of December 25th, all African um people are gonna unlock their super um superhuman abilities or some shit like that. So everybody's been oh, making good. making like jokes about it and shit. Oh, that's good. That's good to know because now we'll all have powers because you know uh, I can turn invisible. You know. But you uh, got no, Mike, you don't got no blocking you. You ain't got no powers. I already had powers. Nah, uh, mine are like uh, sneaky ones. Like, I, like I can. I tell you, I can get invisible and like creep around. Uh, anyway, you, hey, you dropped that on me real quick. I didn't know about this, so it's good to know. Give me in the know. Uh, a lot of things you tell me, I, a lot of other white people don't know. I get the like the inside I'll, scoop. I'll let you know if I could crawl walls and or turn invisible tomorrow, you'd be the first person I, I call. <laughs> and just let them know, let everyone else know I'm I'm cool, right? Okay. So, All right. Just in case. I'll let you know if All I right, choose so, um, super, superheroism or super villainy. <laughs> I'm leaning towards super villainy oh, yeah. though. Hey, come on, just be uh, keep it gray, you know. Let's 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 anti-hero. unite. That's bad and good. Yeah, anti-hero. There you go. Uh, yeah. So uh, today we're gonna talk about a bunch of things. I mean, we always talk about movies. Uh, this is a little different version of it. We're gonna talk about uh, our favorite musical biopics. Uh, not in musicals, you know, bio- pictures about musicians and bands and stuff like that, uh, which is great. Um, I find those ones like really fascinating. There's a bunch of them over the years. Also, big news from. Uh, sports and just society as a whole. So, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, uh, they uh, made an announcement where they're going to recognize officially uh, all the the records of uh, basically there was like seven uh, Negro leagues from like 1920 to late 40s and uh, 48 to be exact. They're going to recognize those records and add it into uh, MLB stats and everything so that was like the big announcement this week and uh we're gonna talk about that show it's uh, a lot of things um you have to say about that yeah and also there's this documentary you want to jump in yeah i'm actually um working on something for black seats on youtube um uh our black seats youtube program on our youtube channel about the negro leagues it's going to be three parts and I'm like actually working on it, and it's it's gonna take some time because I really want it to be really good because it's like a subject that's really like near and dear to me, you know. Talking about these these um guys, a lot of extraordinary baseball players who a lot of people have not heard of because they were denied the right to play alongside you know the 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 great white players, and um you know this just came out that you know MLB um Rob Manfred he he's he's um you know he called it an oversight so we're gonna get into that and um 
you know, they're being recognized as major leagues um, by the baseball commissioner and the office of major league baseball and by the record books. And I think they're going to work with the Elias sports bureau to find out what those, what these guys stats really were. So I didn't want that story to get stale by the time I do, uh, I put out these um special black seats um episodes. So I thought like we would do it today. So you guys could hear um uh, me and Mike's thoughts on it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll give example later on of how it will affect other records that are already like part of the MLB, like lore and history and everything. And then also, um, especially in 2020, like you, I just jump into like series. Uh, I give them a chance. Uh, my girlfriend's very into cults. Um, yeah, she's, you know, the, I don't, you know, Hey, uh, uh, actually there's a reason why too also, but, um, so we watched, uh, something about uh, a cult heaven's gate. Uh, I remember this, it was like really early on. Um, my, you might being aware of like tabloids and like things are going on. So in the nineties, uh, they found like a, basically like a mass suicide, like a house full of people that either were voluntarily or involuntarily died all at the same time. And, uh, it was a call that was heaven's gate. Um, so I watched it. I was into the first couple of episodes and then on a whim, I was like, should I check this out? And then like right away, you know, he had his own opinions on it. So we're going to jump into that, uh, which is interesting. And, uh, that's going to be our episode 32, uh, 32 already. It's great. And this will be the second to last episode of the year, right? We'll be one more. We'll do one. Uh, yeah. 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 It probably is the last one. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, maybe next episode we'll do some. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're halfway through a year of Shug Me the Mooney. Um, so, cool. you know, next, next week could be a celebratory thing. Maybe we could do it like a best of. You know, like uh, like the same way we talked about, like say, yeah. they have like that that like the um, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> like the yeah episode we do something like that. I I don't even think we have enough content to match up with the Say by the Bell. Uh, basically, Ken Burns thing that's gonna drop soon, guys. It's massive, yeah. and uh, yeah. So let's jump into thirty two. We make some more memories. Yeah. All right, so here we are. Uh. You can't. It's off camera now, but I have uh, half of a major vinyl collection. Uh, I got the, the CDs and everything. Uh, grew up. I have a deep um, musical background, like just like um, you name like a band or whatever, and I can I can like especially with my favorite. Who's my favorite musician of all time? Prince. Yep, I have a whole thing for him there. I can name every track. Music is a big deal to me, but uh, obviously. Uh, my major, my most passionate, uh, you know, thing I is a film. You know, I went for film school and everything. So, right now we're going to talk about our uh, favorite uh, biopics about like, you know, musicians. Um, and I want to, Sugar, I want you to kick it off. Yeah. So I, I seen like a question on Twitter. It was like, name your favorite musical biopic, and I was kind of like at a loss. And people would kept on using like, um like ray and like what's love got to do with it, it was a black person so of course there's gonna be like a lot of black um 
people um black movies and then um i thought about it and i actually seen in one of the replies somebody just posted a picture of um this musician and i thought about it and i was like you know like it's the one movie i'll watch and i've seen it like oh man like too many times i count but every time i see it like the whole movie so brings out like the same emotions as seeing it the first time especially when you know like it's so real um mm. it, it's it's selena um and they oh actually, yeah that's a good one yeah and they actually um they have like a a series on netflix like doing like a mini series you know based on selena's life and it's brand new um like and it's it's a dramatic interpretation of it it's not like a documentary so it's not like something new so i'm thinking of it i'm like you know it's probably going to be like the movie um and i was just like i can't I, like i would love to watch it cuz like you know I, i'm aware of like the um the the presence that selena had and how talented she was and how beautiful of a person she was um both inside and out and you know i i would want to like support something like that but i was like damn like i i can't i can't live i can't i can't live through that again you know what i'm saying like it, yeah. it's a very very like sad 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 story and you know the the interesting thing about like selena is like it came out um the interesting thing about her is like it came out like literally i think like one like one maybe two years after she she passed away so you know her family was like heavily involved so i know it was a, like a really really like emotional project and it was just like a great movie i always think it's it's probably um jennifer lopez's like best roles um everybody was was great in that in, in our film and I, I i love it it's it's one of my favorite movies overall but every time it gets to the end and especially the yeah. fact that like they don't even show <clears throat> they don't even yeah. show um uh the lady yolanda i can't remember her name they don't show her uh yeah she's a fan club uh, uh she was like the fan club uh president or something like that right yeah, yeah, and she was stealing money from yeah. her, and Selena was just she came to her to to you know sort. That was the type of person that she was. Like she fired her, but she still felt like she could see the good in this person, even though this person like was stealing from her and stuff like that. She went to her to have a conversation to figure out what was going on, and in all likelihood, she was probably going there to say like, "All right, I don't think you did like." I don't think you did it and I, I like I don't feel like you 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 would do something so malicious to me that you would do something like that like she went to her to like kind of sort it out met her at like this this um holiday inn or some shit down in Texas and she she killed her like killed her in like cold blood and I don't know if she passed I know she's definitely in jail for the rest of her life like mm. but very the fact that they didn't show it how 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 it was done like it just cuts off like to mm. her to her dancing yeah it just cuts off to her going to meet her and then the next scene you see is the the lady in the her killer like in the truck talking to like the police or some shit 
like you know mm. crying you know these crocodile tears like oh i killed my best friend like i did me mm. too da, 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 da. and and like you know and then they play her um dreaming over like the real um footage and pictures of selena and like selena like she the, the saddest part about it is like um and it's weird in retrospect when you think of like these people that had these great lives before they were cut short like she was only like 20 like 22 23 years old when she she got killed and she was so like and she's still like universally like loved uh, it's just like that's why that movie is like probably my favorite like biopic because it was um very like emotional and it, it, it was a very like passionate um passionately made film right and the word that instantly came to my mind when you mentioned selena is um i know it's tossed around a lot but potential mm-hmm. there was so much potential um you, you think about this uh in american mainstream this is the movie came out like 97 i think she was 95 where uh she was you know she was well, murdered um this is like right this is pre like latin explosion even in like a, you know that was a huge deal if you remember that and like in like mainstream media um you had in music especially music um but before that uh you had like a cuban uh, american gloria stefan was like the other latin like presence in music yeah. uh you of course you have disco disco of course but then it's that came from like a uh, latin roots disco and also like uh, also like uh, r&b too but then before that it was like la bamba you know la bamba was the other biopic that came out in the 80s with, yeah uh, and the interesting thing uh, i didn't even, the fact that we're talking about musical bi- biopics also gotta add in the musical aspect to it like she actually mm. was a she her father like if you watch them it's an interesting story because like her father was a mexican american um in the 50s trying to become a um like a doo-wop singer and he had a doo-wop group but Mm. he was you know the fact that they were hispanic they couldn't get gigs at white clubs and the fact that they were doing doo-wop music they couldn't get gigs at spanish clubs so Mm he took he he quit his dream and then um started a family and um opened a restaurant with with his wife and entertainment during you know people eating was um his children ma- mainly selena but also her brother and her brother was on the guitar and her sister was on the drums so the her band was her family um and she started off like singing you know spanish she started off trying to sing like you know american music and then her father told her like you know you would really take off if you did um music in spanish if you did spanish music and that's how she blew up she became huge in the latin american community um through her spanish music and then she was so irresistible uh, she was such an irresistible force that she um branched off and did um and she her before she died was it was her only like english album and that's where you had dreaming mm. and um all of her other great yeah, songs pop. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by potential. Like it could have been a crazy crossover. I didn't even know that she was married. Like crossover uh, talent. That's what they always. That's what I remember. Behind the music came out. Like when that movie came out in like '97. Behind the music was a new thing on VH1, and uh, they always used to um, say that there was so much potential where um, could have been just like like a Madonna type. You know, she would have been like a Madonna. You know. So um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, the aspect with the father, uh, um, great actor, by the way, but uh, it reminded me a lot of yeah, Edward, Edward James, almost uh, underrated, underrated. Yeah, he, he's, and of course, like he's always the go-to guy, like any type of like Mexican American or a Mexican movie, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. He was, he's like that, he's like that role, and um, so I grew up. Every movie I've seen, like he's always like that type of that figure. But it reminds me of. Um, like the Jackson Five, you know that figurehead, like the uh, uh what is it? Joe, not Joe Jackson. Joe, yeah, Joe, Joe Jackson. Yeah, the fo- Joe Jackson. Uh, yeah, but Selena's daddy wasn't whooping he, on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know. But uh, just the idea of like crossover stuff, you know, like um, you know, of course, Jackson Five is way different. They would do like seven shows a week at like strip clubs around the you know uh, Indiana Detroit area. Um, we all know the uh, outcome of that, but I think Selena, well, that's a great choice. Um, that's what, which is interesting because like, uh, like 20 years ago, that movie used to always be on like the movie channels. So I would watch that movie like once every couple of weeks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause back then there's no internet like that in, in the streaming thing. So you watch whatever was on the movie channels. Uh, if, can I jump into mine and we can like, circle back later on? So check this out. So like I watched Selena all the time when it came out, I saw it in theaters um it was jennifer lovitz's coming out party as well she was in like money train but she was also in that and then like jack which is another one but it was like she was like coming out in the late 90s uh so i saw that movie a lot and my pick for musical biopic um it's not that type of movie it's it's also someone who died young but it was that it was his own fault uh it's a movie that's a comfort movie Kind of like uh, like Boogie Nights and Casino is for me. Movie you pop on anytime it's on. Like it could be a halfway over, it could be in the beginning. Uh, it's The Doors. Oliver Stone's The Doors. Uh, just because the way it's shot, okay. the way it's yeah. Um, I've seen I'm pieces. Huge, I haven't seen uh, the whole movie. Oh yeah. Oh, you should check it out. Um, but like it's interesting. Uh, well, Selena came out a year and a half or a year, two years later after this came out. Twenty years after he. Uh, he died. He's part of the Twenty Six Club. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like, Jimi um, Hendrix, Janis Joplin, all of them. Yeah, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, Kurt Cobain. Yeah. All right. So, uh, and uh, I think what's your name too? Um, that's why I was happy on my twenty eighth birthday because I, I I thought I would live fast and uh, die young. Not really, just playing. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. So, uh, and then the I think the latest one. Um is uh, the British singer. Um, I can't remember right now, but um, she had that great voice, that old the retro voice. Um, a- Amy Winehouse was also like, one of the last ones. Um, but yeah, so like, um, I like Oliver Stone. Uh, Val Kilmer, I'm a big Val Kilmer fan. Um, and we also, the, the whole cast, uh, you know, Michael Madsen, isn't it? Frank Whaley. Uh, Michael Madsen um, is underrated 
underrated uh, actor. Frank Whaley, another underrated indie actor from the 80s and 90s. Um, and then Meg Ryan. I'm not a huge Meg Ryan fan, but she did a, well, she did a good job as like, the girlfriend. She's like the on and off girlfriend that I think um, uh, they were together on and off while he was doing all his uh, stupid shit. It's funny, like my dad, I because also my father, like he listened to like classic rock in like the nineties, and uh, like we would listen to like you know he liked doo wop, he liked eighties, like he liked the uh, classic rock from like the sixties and seventies, and he also liked the early eighties stuff too. And yeah. the Doors was always like thing, and I always assumed like, uh, like oh yeah, the Doors and stuff. I remember like 10 years ago, he was like, the song was playing in the car and he goes, you know, he was a real asshole. You know that, right? <laughs> he was an <laughs> ass. Yeah, he was a dick. He was a, he was a schmuck, uh, uh, Jim Morrison, you know? Like yeah. he like was the type of guy like, but again, he was a guy who had uh, personal issues growing up and then he just like fled to LA. Um, he was on the whole, like oh, most of his lyrics are just like Nietzsche, like ripoffs and shit like that. Um, you know, again, you gotta remember he was young too. He was like 20. Now he was like 21 when their first album came out, 67. And, um, you know, he got caught up in the whole, obviously he like self-medicated and stuff like that. But a lot of people in the 60s were doing the whole like psychedelics and stuff. And uh, it never came out, but we did a thanks. I did a Thanksgiving retrospective for movies. And I told my brother about it. My brother goes, did you mention the doors? And I forgot there's a scene in the doors where like he shows up to uh, their communal like Thanksgiving dinner like in the late sixties and, you know, all like kidbies and stuff. And uh, he's supposed to be like clean. He like, he, he promised uh, Meg Ryan's the girlfriend in real life uh, that he'd like get clean and like, you know, shape up and he shows up and like Val Kilmer does, you know, Val Kilmer is like a great actor. He shows up and like, they gave him contacts where his eyes were like massively dilated, like really big. And she's like, are you high? And he's like, oh man, I just had like, I had like one tab of acid. That's it. That's it. But it was like Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, so I know like it's a true story and stuff, but it's one of those movies that's like a comfort movie popping on over the years. Um, there's a lot of great uh, moments. There's a scene where um, Jim Morrison, Jim Morrison uh, goes to the, uh, uh, what the hell is it called? The warehouse? Uh, Any Warhol's factory? I should know this. I met Lou Reed. Uh, so yeah, it was like the, Any Warhol's like, factory or warehouse i don't know i forget what it's called yeah, a couple yeah, of them but yeah. this is a place it was an art house was yeah, like was pittsburgh, art pittsburgh was was like his spot too right well yeah he, yeah, he started in pittsburgh yeah. and then he moved to uh new york uh he's actually yeah, one of the biggest people in pittsburgh as you know um so there's a scene where like they go in it's a velvet underground um and who plays him again it's like a, it's a really good cameo someone plays uh any warhol and it's just, oh, it's uh, Chrisman Glover plays Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, re- it's a really interesting. It's, I, I like the performances. It's not really the story. Uh, it's edited well. Um, screenplay is okay. Um, I like the performances. Um, and it's one of those movies where I just, it has no deeper meaning than just like a good movie. You know, I know a lot of people would bring up, like you mentioned a lot of movies like Ray and stuff like that, where it has like a, I just, so it's just one of those movies where I pop on and, I can do other things while it's in the background. And that's most of my favorite movies are just movies like that. Um, yeah, you never, uh, you never really got into the doors, right? No, not even, I never got into it. I just like, you know, like you said, you, you pop in like random times and still watch it. Like I've like, every time I've seen it, I've seen it from like a different point 
um in mm. in the movie so i seen it like from the end i seen it from the middle i seen i think i seen like the part when they um the ed sullivan show like they had that whole yeah part. yeah so like yeah. I, i've never seen the whole and, and it's not even correct like it's a uh, embellishment where it's like uh the whole story to that is uh ed sullivan's like producers like you're never gonna play the ed sullivan show again and he's like hey man we just played the ed sullivan show like that that they never really happened apparently it's just mm-hmm. kind of like an embellishment if you heard that story this is yeah, like I read up on the Beatles. yeah i read up on you ed know? sullivan and his different um, beefs with artists and stuff like that and uh, yeah well, i read the, the I, part I, about the doors yeah so i have a big understanding of the the real story of what the story was yeah Another tie-in, um, we talked about talk shows. So um, Ed Sullivan apparently was like, always like fucking hammered during the show. Like he doesn't even like, he, he was always like messed up. Uh, he had Elvis where they shot from the top up, which was like, a, you know, didn't show his legs. And that was a big deal for, you know, one person would have TV in like the fucking block and people would like watch. Because he was so, doing color people know, dances. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, he, hey, we could do an Elvis thing. He stole all our stuff. We do an Elvis hey. thing. Chuck Berry and and Little Richard. <laughs> yeah, so I want to get into Elvis because the, I, the, I changed my black, mind. He didn't want the white children of America to to be like fascinated by it. I I want to. We can talk about Elvis one time uh, because I changed my mind on him. Uh, I think he's, he's a hybrid because some people like um, like he ran away. You know, like, he like grew up. Like, he like went to the bars and stuff like that. Like he actually had experiences. Not like he like saw it and was like, all right, I'm gonna copy off that. It was kind of like half and half where he was kind of like there though he was there in these like bars and stuff in memphis anyway but um i changed my, i'm changing my mind on him um uh, but yeah um the beatles and that shit was a big deal for america uh, and then the doors was another thing where like if you watch his show it was from the 50s to i think the late 1970 like the show ended and like it completely changed where you see like you know like, the flower power and all that stuff which yeah. is interesting um well the movie apparently um i'm big into production and film production so it took 10 years to make it was in the development hell which is a term used for something that like it shell like a project is like a script gets written screenplay gets written then they shelve it and then they get a director and then he drops the project and then someone else picks it up you might have like like batman uh in 89 was supposed to be bill murray mm-hmm. like in 84 that got shelved so this was 10 years um it was uh, Brian De Palma was um, was uh, linked to it. Uh, was that the word? Yeah, he was like you know whatever the word is. He was uh, part of it. Brian De Palma, then Scorsese, somebody else, and then Oliver Stone took it on. And uh, he always said, "Oh, I had like a personal experience because when when I was in Vietnam, you know, I heard the doors for the first time, and uh, you know that's how he talks." So um, came out twenty years after. Um, Jim Morrison died, which is weird. And it's think about that. Like think about like if like a movie from two thousand two thousand someone who died in two thousand and they make a movie about him now, that seems so like long long between uh seventy one to ninety one. But for us like two thousand one to now, it's crazy that that's like that much time. Uh time is fascinating to me. But um yeah, it has a fifty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. You know. It's not the best movie, but it's just one of my movies where, you know, I pop it on. Uh, you mentioned Selena that has a, a 
I have a memory of that too. Uh, but this is the movie I've seen the most. Favorite doesn't mean the best. Yeah. This is the one you enjoy watching. But you know, I was thinking about like a random like movie biopic that I haven't seen in like a long time because we were talking about um Ed Sullivan. And I I, I want to say it was Ed Sullivan show, but it might have been like American Bandstand or one of them shows. It might have been American Bandstand or or one of them shows where they have like teens and musical act, like teens in a crowd and like a musical act. So it's like a movie. Yeah. So this movie biopic I haven't seen in so long. Um, fools. Um, why do fools fall in love? It's about like Frankie Lyman. Yeah. So I was thinking when you were talking yeah. about it, I was thinking about Frankie Lyman. Um, on American Bandstand because you know when we were talking about Elvis, and you know he was like doing like black people, you know colored people dances, and they didn't want like the American youth to see it. It wasn't re- like it wasn't really like people they say like oh it's because um it's a, it, you know it's it, it's like oh because you know um he was like gyre in and they didn't want him to to see that but that's the reason but the thing about Frankie Lyman I thought about like this video that I saw on Twitter like a while back and it was um um Frankie Lyman on American Bandstand or whatever it was in like the 19, 1950-something or 1960-something. Um, he was singing... Um, um, he was singing one of... No, it was like the... the I forgot the name of the song, but it, was, it wasn't... Why, yeah. uh, it wasn't Why the Fools Fall in Love. It was like another one of his popular songs. And he... Um, they were just showing like the crowd reaction of all of these like teenage like white girls at every single one. Ah! No, no, no. Like this? No. Ah! No. Oh, no, no. I didn't see it. That's why. No, no, no. Every single one of them, yeah. like it looked as if like the producers had like a sniper, like pointed guns at them. Oh. Like, Yo, if you okay. show. <laughs> Any oh, right. kind of like attraction to this little black, this little colored boy, like I'm gonna shoot you on sight. Mm. Like if you like Mike, if I find that video, send it to you. You gonna know what exactly what I'm talking about? He, he, I, I never saw it. Um, just from my knowledge of music, I heard he had a fucking terrible end. Like yeah. he just like went like right. Yeah, I don't. know. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. Uh. But like in the Beatles thing, if you watch the Beatles, it's like someone like this with the beehive hairdo, and they're like this, like no, nah! like they're like like they're being like shot with like a uh, ray gun. Yeah. They're like ah. Nah! You talking about yeah, you talk about like, like biopics, like all of these people from like the it's so many great biopics that could be made from like people in the nineteen um fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. Um, actually, you know, I was going to bring it up at the end. Um, you know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it's, it's not really a biopic. It's actually based off of a play mm. as a fictionalization right. um, by August Wilson. So that's something I, I was watching. So I'll talk about that in my final thoughts. Yeah. But, you know, we, I, uh, I, saw the, I saw the trailer for it last night. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I was going to bring it up. Too. It's on Netflix. But right. when I, I sent you the topic, I accidentally just wrote bio. I meant to write musical biopics, and I just wrote movie biopic. Mm. And you thought we were going to talk about biopics in general. So mm. I know you had something set up that was like a regular right. 
um non-music mm-hmm. biopic so i'm gonna give you the, the you know we could talk about our about our favorite biopics in general now right and the last thing about the doors uh it broke even the movie mm-hmm. 32 made 34 it's 50 50 so that's it that's all i'm gonna say watch it watch it it's good uh doors was actually like in the top three i had uh three choices in my head uh i'm gonna go with a movie that not a lot of people have I'm assuming a lot of people haven't seen, but I must have seen this movie in the last 15 years, maybe like you know 30 times. Uh, another movie where you pop it on. Uh, I had a DVD, but I was also on TV all the time back then. Um, American Splendor. Are you familiar with American Splendor? Okay, so it's a it's a biopic. It's a it's a, a abstract biopic of a underground comic writer from the 80s, Harvey okay. Pekar. And he was a guy who was on like Letterman all the time in the 80s and uh, came back in the 90s. But he was uh, very aggressive and everything. But it was an underground comic where um, it wasn't like superheroes or anything. It was him just talking about like everyday life. And it was like illustrated by different, uh, un- uh, like Harvey Crumb, uh, like different like underground, you know, like Mad Magazine and like Crack Magazine. They had those uh, like, uh, or Ren and Stimpy, how it's like weird, weird humor, like weird, like drawn. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so Harvey Picar, he was a, uh, he was already like middle aged, and um, he lived in Ohio, and he just had like muse, uh, you know, like uh, interesting muses about life. Um, uh, he was played by Paul Giamatti, but they would also show like real life footage, like when he was on Letterman uh, in these like really heated situations. They use the real footage because like how do you gonna like it's not like Man on the Moon where like they shot it over again. Yeah, they show yeah. the real footage in the movie, yeah, because it's like more powerful. Uh, and then they would have, um, nine like they would have interludes in between different stages of like his life, and the real Harvey Pekar would be on it, and he'd be like, "It was uh, breaking the fourth wall." And I keep uh, every episode, I gotta say meta. So he would break the fourth wall and be like, ah, "Paul Giamatti, Paul Giamatti played him," and he'd be like, "Paul, you're not doing it right." Like he would like kind of like uh, talk about this is what really happened and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, so it's like 70s and 80s, um, primarily in the 80s. Um, he kind of was like a um, a character on like uh, Letterman and like MTV. Uh, he had a friend um, who became kind of popular after Revenge of the Nerds came out. He was kind of like, I think he was actually like autistic, I think, but like he was able to like create a name for himself on like uh, a lot of the pop culture stuff in the 80s and uh the whole like nerd thing um so he was like it was kind of like a prevalent it was kind of like a popular thing at the time um plus you know i like comics and everything but like it's very interesting if you ever go back and read the comics mm-hmm. it would just be like a couple of panels and um he worked in, he was like a clerk in um medical he was a medical uh he was a clerk at a medical facility and he had a co-workers that he would just write about and like his co-workers didn't even know that he was writing these comics about him about them and um it's just fascinating um i would check it out it's they they use um they shoot you know they use the real footage they have scenes where it's like on a stage where it's uh the actor and the real harvey peak are like talking to each other and then they have uh the actual illustrations and then they work in like they shoot, they reshoot the uh, panels from the comics in in the film. 
Um, it, it, you know, it, it's it's an indie movie. You know, it came out in 2003, actually. Uh, and I used to watch it all the time. Uh, I like Paul Giamatti. He's a great actor. Um, it's a nice, it's a nice film. Uh, you know, it's like an outsider, fringe, fringe people. Um, and then another thing I had, um, we love, we and you both like mob movies, right? Yeah. Can we, can we say, establish that? People could say like Goodfellas is a biopic. Um, but I'm going to say, uh, I also had Donnie Brasco. I'm a big fan of Donnie Brasco. Yeah. I saw um, Joel. If Joel was here, he would, he, that would have probably been his, his pick because he, he loves yeah, Donnie so, Bras- yeah. Brasco. Joseph Pistone, you know, the whole uh, Johnny Depp plays him. Michael Madsen again, who's indoors. Um, Al Pacino. My God, I think I bring that up all the time where, like, uh, like I say to my brother, I'm about to go to work and I don't want to go to work, or if I go in for someone. I do the whole thing where I take off all my things. Remember Al Pacino like takes off all his stuff because he knows he's about to get whacked. Mm-hmm. You know that scene where he, he takes off all his stuff. I was just a great performance by Al Pacino. Uh, it's like the opposite of usually he plays like a powerful character. He plays Michael Corleone. He plays uh, you know Scarface, but this one he plays a lowly, uh, like a wise guy type guy. You know a guy who's like they're they're breaking uh, parking meters to get quarters and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he's like a lo- he, that's one of the characters he he. In that sense, like he played like Dog of the Afternoon, who's kind of like a fringe like loser guy. But um, I think it's a great performance by Johnny Depp. Um, we talked about Johnny Depp multiple times in the last six months uh, on our show. Uh, I think he's an underrated actor, um, right? He's on. You agree, right? He's underrated. He's not just the freaking you know pirate guy. Yeah, he's he's an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah. So those three movies came into my mind when I thought about it today. You have a non-musical um, biopic. Yeah, my my favorite non-musical or my favorite um, biopic about a um uh um you know famous. I, I feel weird saying famous, but like a prolific person is um Malcolm X because I don't know if I've said it on this show before, but. Mm. You know, the autobiography of Malcolm X was like the first um, book I that, that I read, you know, like the first like really long book that I read is like, you know, like 600, 700 pages. And I read every mm-hmm. I, I read it cover to cover and I was just impressed by his whole life. And I actually had seen the um, I actually seen a movie before I read the book. And when you read the book, um, as interpreted to Alex Haley, which was, um, he actually was doing it up until the point that he died. So it was kind of finished, um, it was kind of finished like post, um, posthumously by, um, Alex Haley based off of like notes that he had. And if you watch, if you read the book, and watch the movie like you would almost think that like the book the book was like a novelization of the movie because you know like I, I have my feelings on Spike Lee but I still recognize him as like a great filmmaker and um like he the, the interesting thing about him was that he wanted to do the Malcolm X movie um and they were going to do a Malcolm X movie and it was going to be um 
directed by Norman Jewison, who did um In the Heat of the Night. And Spike mm. Lee, you know, put his foot down. And I think he got together with, like, Martin Scorsese and a couple of different guys and really made a push for the film to be directed by an African-American director. And, you know, I think he just, it's a really long movie. And like I said, it's based off of a book that was like six, 700 pages long. And it's like, I think like they fit like 95% of the things that were in that book into that movie. Um, so that's why, and is it, that, so that movie has, is, is probably my favorite non-musical biopic. Yeah, I didn't even mention Denzel's performance, and he should have won that. He should have won Best Actor for that. Mm-hmm. And he gave it to him like ten years later. Yeah, yeah. everyone argues that. It's Iro- like, ironically, it's like a, ironically, like he, it's um, they kind of give you these um, these these um, past due Oscars. Like they gave his Oscar, what he should, the Oscar he should have got for that movie. They gave it to Al Pacino for. Scent of a Woman when in actuality mm. they should have gave Al Pacino like Oscars for like several different films that he did and he was like passed over and then fast mm. forward like you said 10 years Training Day like would you say Training Day is uh, mm. Denzel's greatest like role like probably not but that, that's, that's, a, got the that's, a, that's a that, that's a movie perfor- a movie star performance yeah I always we, we talk about Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is a movie star, but he's also an actor. Uh, there's a lot of people that are like Tom Cruise. He's born on the Fourth of July. Is another biopic. It's a biopic of a Vietnam vet. That's a he's a actor on that, and then um, he also has movie star shit that he does too. Yeah, yeah. So this week, um, this past week, some news dropped. Um, it could kind of like fly under the radar if you're not too um. If you're not really like a, a a casual fan of the sport of baseball, I don't know. Ba- baseball has this like popularity issues um, today, and Rob Manfred is one of the people that's like spearheading that deal. But one of the um a move he made this week was, and I didn't even know like Major League Baseball had the power to do so. Um, he recognized that. Um, the Negro Leagues, all of them, which there were several that were in um, competition between 1920 and well into the late 50s or the late the mid to late 50s um, were still in operation. But the reason for them being around was because of, um, you know, baseball's quote unquote gentleman's agreement to keep the sport um, I wouldn't say all white because that's an interesting thing, and I'm actually gonna get into it on a black seat special, like I said in the intro. Um, they would have like players of like Native American descent, players of mm-hmm. um Latin American descent play in the major leagues. Like they, you know, there was no problem there. They just definitely had an issue with you being of African descent and playing in the major leagues. And unfortunately it kept a lot of great players from um, being able to showcase their talents on, you know, the highest, what, what was, you know, um, 
promoted as you know the highest level of competition when it came to the sport of baseball. Um, so many different names uh, off the top of my head: Sasha Page, Josh Gibson. Um, Josh Gibson is somebody who, you know, people would call him the Black Babe Ruth, and you know, according to players and people that were alive to see him play, would say, you know, you might want to say that Babe Ruth was the white Josh Gibson. Like, that's how great he was. So the move was made that it would recognize the different, the multiple major league, the, the multiple Negro leagues um, between 1920 and 1948. Because as we know, in 1947 was when Jackie Robinson first played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then in 1948, Larry Doby was signed um, in the American League for the Cleveland Indians. So both leagues had, you know, broken the color barrier by 1948. So that was determined as the threshold of, you know, the years that they would be recognized as major leagues. And it's actually, you know, when you think of the major leagues, you think of the two major leagues that exist today and the two major leagues that play in the World Series, which is the, you know, since the beginning of the World Series, which were, the American League and the National League, but there are actually like six leagues in total. So four more um, off the top of my head, the Federal League and the American Association. Um, I can't remember the other two, but those leagues uh, were recognized in the 1960, in like the late 1960s, Mike? Like Continental or something like that. They had another one, Continental or something like that. And yeah. there was going to be another one in the in the 40s or in the 50s. And then that's the whole thing that happened when they all moved out west. We, we've talked about that, I think, one time. Where, like, they're going to have a, a, a third one, uh, you know. But, like, that's where the Mets came from, like, when the Giants and Dodgers left. But that's not, that's not part of the topic today. Yeah, so, like, yeah. So, I'm talking about, like, the four other leagues that were recognized. I'm just mm-hmm. sorry. I don't have them off the top of my head. But I know two were mm-hmm. – the two outside of the two we know, the American and National League, were the Federal League that played in the early 1910s and then the American Association, which was in the late 1800s. And I think the other two leagues were also – late 1800s on um, leagues as well so i wanted to discuss the topic because um you know i was going to do the special but i just thought that since it happened this week that i'd like to um me and mike to discuss it um but i did send mike an article that i read which was written by the talented super talented howard bryant um howard bryant for ESPN.com, where he discussed, you know, they, you know, first of all, in Rob Manfred's statement, he called it an oversight um, by Major League Baseball. And, you know, Howard Bryant was, you know, basically arguing that, you know, it's not really, you know, America in general has like an issue with, um, you know, confronting their faults and the injustices um they've done to people um of many different races but you know mainly african americans in this country and something like what they did um in recognizing the negro leagues as major leagues it kind of like it it 
it's kind of like whitewashing history to say like, oh, like, you know, these 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 guys numbers, they count. But in reality, it kind of erase. It's it's almost done inadvertently to like erase the fact as to why these great players didn't get the opportunity to play in the major leagues. So, Mike, what did you get from the article? Uh, basically, um, it's it, he he the quote. I don't. Know, is it a real quote where they said it was an oversight? MLB. Yeah. It was an actual quote. It was okay, in I, thought Man- I did. It was in the commissioner Robert Manfred's um statement about oh, it. That was facetious. That was a, oh wow yeah. So like, it's deeper than that. This is like deeper than just like numbers and like figures and stuff. You know, it's it's um, because we'll get into like what, it, what the ramifications of it are. Um, you know how like uh, Willie Mays, he has an extra two years now from a different league that they're going to add to his numbers. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. I mean, not oh, two, that, two years. It's actually, it's actually, um, he played in the nineteen. He played in the nineteen forty eight season. Um, yeah, it's like a week, a uh, month or something. Or a week. Yeah, and yeah, he played in still, the playoffs, it's... and it's like disputed whether or not the his playoff yeah. stats would also be added. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't hit any home runs, so his um mm. six hundred and sixty home runs will stay the same. But I think he has like. 3,000 and something hits. So it's going to be 3,000 3, and like something hits plus like 17 more hits. Well, I know he's 12th. I don't know the exact number. He's 12th on the list. Yeah. So yeah, if it was the Birmingham Black Barons. I was reading about that too. Um, but yeah, so those are numbers, you know, and that means a lot too. Because mm-hmm. like baseball is like a game of stats. It's always been known as like, right? People would be like, oh, look at the back of the trading cards and be like, oh, the numbers and the stats and stuff. Yeah, baseball, but like basically, baseball, it, I got from numbers probably mean a lot more than they do in any other sport. Well, I, a lot of people who aren't good, like who don't really care about math when they're kids, oh, yeah, you, you teach them, you'd be like, oh, well, now you, you can figure out someone's like uh, batting average, like by like fraction. And then, you know, like that's how a lot of people, like, especially back in the day, they would like learn how to do math because they cared about baseball. But with the article, it's like the numbers mean everything too. I mean, they mean a lot, uh, but it's like deeper than that. Um, from from the uh, press release from the MLB, Manfred and everything, it's like it seems kind of like um, uh, gl- uh, glossing over it, just like you know, because like all this other stuff is happening this year. Obviously, we didn't talk about it. I think with the Cleveland, so like they're kind of like making amends and everything but it's like they're trying to just get it out as quickly as possible during this other whole thing that's going on now um but like you can't change you can't change the past you know it's just how we look back on it and um you can but well what you can keep like saying like all the terrible fucking things that, that happened and everything um you can never forget uh but forget the whole that forget and forgive thing yeah, yeah. Um, like, how do you how do you make amends to someone who's been dead for like all those years? You know, like it's like our generation now. It's like they can do everything they want, but if you always you, you, what happened back then um, can't be changed. You know, mm-hmm. it's always about looking forward. But a lot of this is just like the wounds are so deep that you're like, how can you? Does that make yeah. sense? Uh, like, where? But yeah, you'd be the bigger person. I don't know. Like, it's. 
I'm more, more interested in what you have to say. About and that like, right now. um, like actually, the day it happened, like uh, M- MLB um reporter or MLB yeah MLB reporter um Jeff Passan, he interacted with somebody on Twitter, and you know when he was like he announced like you know they're recognizing the Negro leagues and all the stats and stuff. They will now be part of record books, and I think that's one of the things that. Um, I think Rob Manfred was trying to accomplish by doing this is that now you're going to start seeing a lot of these guys' names in the MLB record books now alongside, you know, these players that were celebrated as being, like, great. Um, good, good point. I have no idea about Jimmy Fox. I know who he is, though. Mm-hmm. You know, these characters that, that we just read about, now the next generation will see it. You know, they'll, then they become part of like the uh, collective. That's the word. The uh, I don't know if it was used, but I used the word the collective because they're 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 saying seven leagues, but we all know that from like the late eighteen hundreds, there's been so many different uh, startups that ended after six months or after half a season. Uh, barnstorming is where like you go to one town, and then you just like it's like an exhibition almost. You, there's no record of it really just like that it happened yeah um and the so, thing about, but they're and, and, they're and choosing you, seven leagues yeah and you're using like um barnstorm barnstorming um you, you brought up the, the the term barnstorming and um exhibitions um exhibitional games where these are games that don't count in the standings um and i also said before that they when they recognized the other major leagues, like the Federal League and American Association, they did that in 1969. And when people were asked why then they didn't, um, like back then, not that they asked now why they didn't then, but back then they stood by not um, putting the Negro Leagues as a, you know, the collective Negro Leagues as major leagues because they said, you know, the financial disparities, the stadiums, the um, one of the things that they um also used was the fact that a lot of guys, you know, at that time, remember this is pre-Kurt Flood and pre-free agency where you know players were being held by the reserve clause, and oh my God, I'm pretty sure you probably don't know about that off the top of your head, but the reserve clause was free free agency where basically teams, um, you know, like right now when the MLB offseason, you see, you see a lot of, well, not this particular offseason, but usually you see a lot of players changing teams and signing with new teams in free agency and it's like this frenzy. But way back then they had a reserve clause where guys were beholden to the teams um. That signed them, unless they were traded. That's the only way you would change teams. Um, so in 1969, they still had that reserve clause. So they tried to use the fact that you know in the Negro leagues, you know they didn't really they they tried to label them as um, disorganized, you know because players would move from team to team because like me and Mike were discussing, certain teams would like have to move to different places because. Um, they would fold and, you know, 
the owners would think. And the thing about like the Negro leagues, a lot of the owners, like Gus Greenlee in Pittsburgh with the um Pittsburgh Crawfords, like he was like a a lot of the owners were like under like underworld guys like they were like guys that were into like racketeering and like in the numbers and stuff like that like so they tried to use all of those things as justifications as to why the negro leagues um couldn't be justified as being major leagues but the thing about that is it's like and this is the thing how brian was trying to get to or or the point he was trying to, to to bring as to why you know, this move is great, but it, it shouldn't be super duper applauded because it kind of covers up the um, original sin of baseball, which was the fact that these these players weren't given that opportunity. So bringing it back to Jeff Passan, you know, he announced that and then he said, um, oh, somebody replied to him and said, oh, well, then, you know, did the NFL should start um, should recognize like the USFL stats and Jefferson like with the swiftness replied to him and said well I'm sorry I, I, I didn't know that the USFL in the 1980s um, held players out of the league because of the color of their skin you know just to shut them up and like it's true like these guys really were denied the opportunity to play in the major leagues and it, 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 the other thing about it too is like you also have to look at the players that played during that time because everybody likes to like look at like the 90s, you know, with the steroids around like, oh, it's not fair, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, Joe DiMaggio, as great as he is, he never had to face Satchel Page in his prime. Um, you know, Bob Feller, he never had, well, he faced Josh Gibson and like, you know, Barnstorming, you know, mm-hmm in barnstorming games, but on a major league level, he never had to face Josh Gibson or Cool Papa Bell or Buck Leonard. Um, He never had to face those people on a major league stage. So how can you hold these people as being great when, you know, the best of the best, it wasn't really the best of the best because you have some of these, you know, super duper talented Negro league players um, you held them out, and it's it's overtly evident because Mike in the 1950s, where baseball was almost fully integrated, like I think it was a point where it was like eight out of nine years, like the Negro, the 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 National League MVP, eight out of nine years was won by a black person, so it just showed like they you know, these guys were on the same level as, you know, the white players, but you just, they just didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think what I read a long time, like the National League was more like in that type of way back then, like more progressive to begin with. As we, as we mentioned that, like, as we mentioned the Boston and the Red Sox were like the final team. Mm-hmm. Um, like American League was also like, they were disrespected up until like that time too. They were like always at the secondary, um, the league and everything. So I think nationally was always more, and they were more established too. But then with Wikipedia in the last like 10 years, I would I just read like history about baseball, especially Ken Burns. We're big fans of Ken Burns uh, baseball. Um, 
like they they recognize like uh like the uh new york gothams you know, as part of like the lineage of like the giants right is that correct mm-hmm. or they're part of like the lineage lineage uh, and they've been doing that for you know all these years and now it's uh, what's the difference between that and now bringing it bringing this into the fold and you bring up someone who mentioned the usfl yeah, it was the 1980s. It's like bringing up like XFL and things like that. These are just business uh, leagues, had nothing to do with a deeper meaning. That's that with the article that you sent me. Like it's, it has a deeper meaning. That's that's the whole uh, that's the whole point of it. Where it's not just sports. We talk about sports every episode pretty much in the last six months, and it's sports is America. You know, like there's it, it's a mirror to our society because. Um, that, you know that makes sense right like where america is all about there's a lot of things with like you know racial because we're the most interesting like country with the whole like race racial and like ethnic and everything yeah. um i just think it, it sport really... like you know like baseball it's like america's pastime and this is like some people equate you know baseball to america apple pie and everything and this is like in a way um does that make you you get where I'm going at with this, right? Where you're like acknowledging this this thing, this this part of history that's been literally segregated from everything else. Our our like American collective and uh, our you know our American subconscious, our American uh, um, you know American America lore, like MLBs, like America, you know the apple pie thing, and if people are getting offended by them integrating this into the MLB. It's like literally like a mirror to like the forties, which yeah. is like crazy. This is like 2020. Yeah. You get and, what I'm the, and the commissioner of baseball, um, who is, it's ironic. He was, uh, Kennesaw mountain Landis. He was appointed in 1920. Um, because they didn't have a, he was the first baseball commissioner. They haven't, they didn't have a governing person over, um, what they call back then organized, organized, organized baseball. Um, they didn't call it the major leagues back then. Um, and they brought him in in light of the Black Sox scandal because they needed somebody to be you know, to show the public that, all right, this is going to be the person, like, policing. And as we know, like, he banned um, the eight people um, that were named in the Black Star scandal. And he, he, the only, the provisions for him to take the job was that he, it would be a lifetime position and nobody could overrule him. So he held that position up until his death. And he was asked um, about the, you know, would would black players be, would teams be able to sign black players? And he, so in response to a lot of people saying like, oh, like, uh, you know, the Negro Leagues aren't like the major leagues. Like, can I saw Mountain Landis, his response to why, you know, this, this color barrier existed, he said, well, they have their own league and we have ours. So by his own admission, the first baseball commissioner, he admitted that the Negro Leagues were basically the major league, the major leagues for black players. 
So they want equal footing. And the first, and he died, and they appointed Happy, Happy Chandler to replace him, who was a former state senator. And one of the first things he did was give uh, Branch Rickey the okay to sign Jackie Robinson. So the first thing that they did as soon as the guy dropped dead because they couldn't overrule him was that they, you know they they um they they broke down that color barrier and just recently the Beta baseball writers association the national league and american league mvps were named after kennesaw mountain landers they stripped that name off of it so they're gonna rename that award but the interesting thing is when i talk about like you know Josh Gibson, who died, a, you know, the same year that, um, tragically, he died at, at, um, in his mid-30s. Uh, he didn't get the chance or the opportunity to play in the major leagues. And some say he may, like I said, he, you know, Babe Ruth might have been the white version of him. And think of how we regard Babe Ruth. And then another person I named was Satchel Page. But the interesting thing about Satchel Page is he actually joined, he was signed to the major leagues by Bill Vec, who was an owner of the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, we could get into his whole history and his eccentric stuff. And he was one of the first people that um, started doing like promotions and whimsical stuff during the game to um, get people to go to the ballpark. And he actually intended to buy the Phillies. Um, when they were up for sale and he was going to stock the whole team up with Negro League stars and Kennesaw Mountain Landers knew that or got wind of that and he quickly found like a different owner so it wouldn't happen. So Kennesaw Mountain Landers actually did a lot to make sure that black people didn't get to play alongside white people. But Satchel Page, you know, he he got to join he he joined the major leagues in his 40s and if you look at his stats with cleveland in 1948 um his recorded age his his age is up for question cuz he might have been older than what he said he was he was 41 years old he was 6 and 1 with a 2.48 era in 1949, he was 4-7 and seven with a 3.04 ERA. And then he played three more years in the 50s. Um, he didn't play in 1950, but he played from 1951 to 19... Um, from 1951 to 1953 for the St. Louis Browns. Um, and he was... 1951, he was three... He was 44 years old. He was or possibly he could have been like 47 at this point. He was three and four with a 4.79 ERA. Then 1952, he was an all-star at 45 with a 12 and 10 record and a 3.07 ERA. And then 1953, three and nine, but he had a 3.53 ERA. And if you don't know baseball, these stats are like, actually pretty good the only year he was actually bad was uh 1951 because he had a 4.79 era in um 23 games so it goes to show that like in his 40s he was just talented so it's like mike 
imagine what this guy would have done if he was like 22. Yeah, and it's like, what if Mickey Mantle didn't get recognized until he was like in his late 30s when his knees were terrible and he was mm-hmm. fucking drinking all every game? Same thing. And a lot um, of these, and a lot of these guys, mind you, like they played like back in these days. Like if you were starting pitcher, like you went in there to pitch nine innings, and he tried oh, yeah. to he pitched nine. No, I'm agreeing with you. Uh, you, you. Hype up more about it. Like you're on buses. They made that joke about it in the Major League the movie, where like the the conditions of when people would go to game to game were different. You know, now it's like luxury and everything, and like they get like these positions to like rub down their legs every game and stuff like that. This is just normal guys going out there and not knowing that they have issues, on top of being you know 20 years of this fucking like hardship of like trying to play the game that you love but then you know just finally making it to like recognize as like the top of the top and uh being broken down yeah and satchel page he played you know a lot of these guys they would play in like cuba they would play in the um dominican republic this is one of the times i wish like joel was here because he would talk about trujillo's Mm -hmm. um you know trujillo the dictator in the dominican republic he got you know guys to come and play for him and and Cuba was the opposite then too. Cuba was open. Yeah, so they, these they flipped. So these places, man, like they, you know, these these guys, like they they would play year round. Like these these guys, and they were talented as anybody else, but they just didn't have the opportunity. So the long and short of this whole, oh. um, yeah, go ahead, Mike. But ironically, they ended up playing everyone because there was also like other leagues too where it was like white, like it wasn't like official, but like. They played literally every like Hispanics. They played uh, all these other like when we go to Cuba and everything. They would play Cuban players. Like they they were uh, seasoned seasoned uh, you know veterans by the time they were forty. Like they played everyone before things were all integrated mm-hmm. with these exhibition type games because there was a, there was exhibition games too. Like there was like not officially recognized, but they played like all these different types of people. We didn't get into Hank, Hank Aaron was signed. Uh, he played for a couple of months. Uh, this thing I, I was talking about, the, you know, the clowns. Yeah. I mentioned that I, I read a lot about them. So he played with, uh, at this point, they were in Indianapolis for three months. And then the Boston Braves, National League team, signed him. Uh, like a $10,000 contract. And decades and decades and decades, he stayed with that organization. Because it was Boston, then it was Milwaukee, then it was Atlanta. Then he got hired by Ted Turner. So, like, after his three months in, in this league, this team, the next 50 years, you know, the next 50 years plus, you know, he's been, uh, he, he's been like a face of, um, yeah, and with, you know, with, like black sportsman. And, and with Hank Aaron, the, the interesting thing about him, because I was like my first thought when they said, all right, they're going to put all the stats together or whatever, whatever. This is before I knew that the cutoff was going to be 1948 because he did play in the, in the, the fifties for the Indianapolis clowns. Um, I was like, what if this was like a ploy just to make like Barry Bonds, not the home run King anymore. But then I found out like that they're not gonna, not gonna count um his, his Negro league um record. And, and the yeah. other, other part of um baseball. And I just want to bring up all the stuff that baseball did to keep black people out before we finish this is that, you know, the reason why they the cutoff is 1948 is because when 
um baseball start, you know, that color barrier was break broken down with Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby because his name always gets lost because he was the first American League um yeah black, black player. My dad always says that. My dad always says that too. He, uh, he when I Colaberry was when I Colaberrio was broken down, you know these guys would sign the Negro League players, but they would never compensate the Negro League teams. Mm. So the financial hardship that was left with now all of the talented players going to the major leagues without any compensation. Um, and now being a league, obviously you're going to have, um, less talented black male players. They also started adding in, um, women, some women, Tony, some women, Tony Stone. Some, yeah, Tony Stone, Tony Stone. Them. you know, they started signing women and here's an interesting fact, Mike, I don't know if you knew this, but th- during like the, 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 um, you know, the swan song seasons of the Negro Leagues, they signed, like, ex-major league white men that still wanted to play baseball um, before they eventually disappeared. But, you know, when we took... So that yeah. was one situation there where, you know, the teams weren't compensated. So, you know, all because, you know, Negro, the, the other thing about Negro Leagues, and we talk about it when we talk about politics, about, you know, black ownership, these teams were owned by black owners. Like the first female owner of a, you know, now major league baseball team. Um, uh, I forgot her name. Uh, Miss Miss Manley. I know her. Her last name is Manley, who owned the Newark Eagles. Um, she lost her team because you know she couldn't financially support them anymore because the Negro Leagues, you know, the major leagues took all her. Her, her players so that's one of the things like I think he didn't really say it in the article but that's one of the reasons um one of the things that you know with this announcement like it, it could kind of get ignored the other thing is you know a lot of uh, there were a lot of well-meaning people in baseball you know I already talked about Bill Veck but John McGraw who is you know probably one of the greatest baseball men in the history of New York City. Uh, He managed the Giants uh, throughout the 1900s and 1920s. He died. And when his wife was like going through his things, she found a list of black players that he intended to sign if they ever allowed him to. And he actually tried. It was one, it it was one player. He tried to pass off as a native American. Mm. And the reason that player was found out was because his black friends came to the games and people kind of figured out like, Oh, like all of these black people are going in a frenzy because when this black guy comes to the plate. So, you know, this Native American guy comes to the plate. So, oh, you look at him close, like he got to be black. And, you know, um, a lot of people, they would bring in black guys and tell them to just speak gibberish and then try to uh, pass them off as Latin players. Mm. And, you know, the, the sad thing is once they were found out, 
they were um they 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 were kicked out of the league or they didn't get the opportunity. Another situation was um uh Clark Griffith um that we we I think we talked I think it was Clark Griffith we talked about when we were talking about like the twins taking no it, it might have not been him but he was the old owner of the Washington Senators and he brought Josh Gibson and Satchel Page to Washington and he promised them that as soon as another team uh, it's crazy like it's like all right you had the power to do it yourself to be the the you know the the person responsible you know he could have beat um branch ricky by almost a decade by just signing them because he was the owner he said until another like if another team signs a black player i want to sign you two two guys to come and play for the senators and obviously nobody ever did up until 1945 when jackie was signed and 1947 when he finally played um, so those two never got the opportunity, but, you know, it, it's interesting how these guys wanted to sign these black guys, but just like, didn't. Yeah. There's a lot of things we can get into with the forties. Cause we even talk about world war two. It changed a lot of this too. We, but, you know, um, I was looking for an opportunity to bring it up. How, um, like the best players of a league, um, or a team would leave, would get signed and they would leave and then attendance figures would drop and everything. That's why when people are like, oh, there's seven different random leagues uh, sporadically, you know, like some seasons would end mid-year. Uh, how do you like count it? That's because it was all based on, uh, you know, like like a whole team or a whole league would be like based on like, these few players. And when they're gone, um obviously play um, fans would stop attending and they were basically playing game to game and season to season and non uh, other leagues that, um, that, w- that were around during like, you know, during the 1900s um, that later were recognized that we talked about in the sixties, they folded a lot because like their main guys would leave, but it was, they were had nothing to do with race. It was just that it was like a business decision. And a lot of this also was business too. Um, so that's why like when people would say, oh man, it's seven random leagues, like how do you like whatever? That's the whole point is that they were um they they, they based their whole success off of uh stars. And there were stars then. Like um mm-hmm. there was people doing like Coca-Cola ads. Like there were people that were in the mainstream, but they were just it was segregated. Everything was segregated then. It's not like it was like this weird fringe thing, you know. Yeah, and, um, they, and yeah. Like you said like the the like your your favorite player, like he's in the major leagues now. It's like all right, so and that, that's the difference too. Like he's in the major leagues now, so instead of like going to like this crappy old decrepit stadium to watch the Negro leagues, I could go to like you know, uh, this major league big old like sixty thousand seat stadium with like lights that actually work. Uh, I could go there and watch him now. And, you know, like you said, they were stars. There were times, like, these guys would come to, like, Yankee Stadium and outsell the Yankees. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Newark Eagles. There's another team, too. I'm not – that's not them. Um, there's another team that would play in Yankee Stadium like, all the time. Well, they have they black, Yan- they, too, they they? black Yankees and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, there's countless. I mean, everyone should please research more because oh, yeah. this is not even with this. I, I I love looking at defunct organizations and defunct leagues. That's like where like if I can't sleep over the last like like decades, I would always check Wikipedia and just like, read about like the AFFL even that too things like that. Just like t- sport uh, leagues that eventually folded or got absorbed. You know, mm-hmm. it had nothing nothing to do with this this what we're talking. About. Just like different leagues, I find fascinating, and um, you know, I was happy to dive back into this and do a little bit more research on it with this update from MLB. Yeah. So as detailed as this was, and me and me and Mike really got into it. Mm-hmm. Um, watch out for the um my my black seats um series on uh the blacks in baseball the early years, um. That's going to be, I'm going to be working on it and I'm going to be doing a hell of a lot more research. And like I say, this is something that's near and dear to me. So I'm glad I got to come on here and talk to talk about it with you, Mike. Yeah, and I'm happy to be helping with it too because uh, my part of the whole projects that we do uh, is looking up a lot of the video and images and stuff. And I love history and I love, you know, doing uh, research. You know, so I, that's one of the good things about me helping you out with the black seats, even though I'm not involved with it on camera. I, I behind the scenes, that's what you know, baseball is a very fascinating sport. Yeah, all right. So, every once in a while, um, I'll recommend something to watch, or Joe will tell me to like, check this out. Um, and like last week, uh, I was in the middle of watching uh, a documentary about Heaven's Gate, uh, recognized as a cult now, um, on HBO Max. Uh, I remember this. I, I watched it because I remember, I vividly remember seeing it on like uh, SNL's like Weekend Update and uh, just like the tabloids. Like after school, I had to watch like uh, hard copy and things like that. And um, it's like burned in my brain, like with the, the this crazy looking guy. Like he had a shaved head, he was old man, and his eyes were like bright. I mean, he was like insane looking. Um, but it's about this uh, organization, a group, a collective. Um, from the 70s that were um it's called heaven's gate and uh looking back they would say that it was it was based on like christian beliefs because like the, one of the main leaders was um a former like minister uh so a lot of it was like uh sort of quasi christian mixed in with like this thing called ancient alien ancient aliens uh there's this thing on history channel we all know about sure you know ancient aliens you've seen that show before right Oh no. <laughs> okay, so no? All right, no. so there's this whole thing that came out in, like in the seventies. Is that the dude 60s. from the, the the meme like the alien? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Aliens. That's all I know about that guy, him. Giorgio, whatever. Okay, so like they believe that like um instead of using like God and religion, they use uh like heavenly you know, like like aliens came here and um are our like creators engineers is what they call them uh i'm not trying to indoctrinate you right now i'm just saying this is like what they uh they believe is like instead of it they they substitute god for like aliens or aliens for god and um so when you when it develops you see that he had a background and he his father was like a minister i believe as well the the leader apple white um so basically it developed in the 70s and before I ask you about this, I'm just going to let you know that, like, a lot of this stuff in the 70s um, 
grew out of like the hippie movement and even like in the 50s with the beatnik movement they were looking for an alternative to um what they considered like the establishment which was like you know christianity um capitalism and everything so they were getting into like communal living um alternative beliefs where they would borrow things that they already grew up on but like Protestants, like the the beliefs that they had they would they would uh change it and turn it more into like a communal um you know like uh we all know about how a lot of people left um their normal day life and moved to like the country and like started farming themselves and just everything was like uh you know, um, like we always talk about Mad Men. There's a, there's a character who leaves, right? You know, uh, uh, one of the characters' daughters they leave and go into a communal living, and then they completely separate themselves from their family. And you're like, this is my life now. Like, I'm here for this. I'm here for us. So that kind of it started off with that in the '70s with this group, and uh, they had a lot of meetings, and they. Try, you know, they recruited people who were feeling lost. A lot of them were like hippies in the 60s. In the 70s, things changed a little, um, where a lot of uh, singular leaders grew. Like there was um, a lot of, uh, uh, what do you call that? Like, um, not Buddhist, but like a lot of, like a lot of uh, guru, gurus like developed and became very, very prominent in the mainstream. So this didn't seem that crazy then where someone would have one leader and they would kind of drop everything, drop their normal day life, join up with a group. Sometimes they'd come back. Um, sometimes it would end the way this ends. But this is a, the reason why they made a documentary is that it ended so crazy and bizarre after like decades. Um, the ending was a, like a mass suicide pretty much or a... Um, euthanized people or just a mass suicide so jug i had you watch this and you had your own thoughts on it yeah i, I mean like you were telling me about it like um you didn't really tell me like to watch it but you were telling me that you've been watching it and i was trying to like avoiding it but then at the same time like ain't really much to watch on tv um these days like all of my favorite shows like kind of already ended and like the only thing i really watch weekly is Mandalorian so you know I was kind of waiting for that to come back on so you know I watch I decided to like give it a shot and look at it because you know I'm one of them people I was just like you know I don't understand people that join codes so why they join codes and and stuff like that so I hoped that I'll watch it and kind of learn about it and maybe get an understanding as to why somebody could be like you know influenced into basically um submitting themselves to like you know these 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 cults and i watched you know the first one and the second one one night and then i watched the second the, the third and the fourth one the next night and i just walked out of it and i was just i kept on like texting you and i was like man this is like boring like i don't like it's, it's not interesting yeah. at all and you know after i watched it i'm like i didn't really learn anything i didn't get what i wanted from it um which was like understanding 
uh, as to why maybe you know and I, I think like I, I told you like the people that they had on there were like the ex-members and it seems like some of them were like kind of still in like a trance um but they, they they were still in that trance like they they were kind of speaking from like a point that was kind of like man I wish I would have left with the group you know and fulfill like you know their quote unquote destiny um but What's I didn't really yeah I didn't really really get that and you know because when you you told me Heaven's Gate like the first thing I thought of was like the movie Heaven's Gate which is like one of the biggest like box office uh bombs in like the history of movies not only that but it like um it like set a precedent for like animal safety on movie sets because they they did a lot of stuff um you know like now when you see on a movie it says no animals were harmed in the making of this film mm. like it was because of our movie so i thought it was a documentary about that and because uh, i couldn't remember the yeah. name of you know this cult because I kind of get them confused with like Jim Jones and and that whole thing, but mm. Kool Aid, yeah. Kool-Aid. So I, I couldn't remember which, which is, one. Which is oh, well, no, sorry to cut you off, but that's interesting because they were aware that they were seen as cults. They were like, "We're not gonna drink our Kool Aid." It was like in like ni- early nineties, you know. So yeah, so that's yeah, because I know it was I'm one cult with the the Kool Aid, and then I know it was one with the jumpsuits and uh, the Nike sneakers so this one was the jumpsuits on the nike sneakers but mm-hmm. you know the the guy too i was you know i think like he was kind of like indoctrinating like his own like faults on them like you know you said his father was like a preacher himself and you know he was gay the the you know the, the leader group he was gay and his father being a preacher didn't um didn't uh, you know, accept his lifestyle. So I think he kind of um, forced that same, like, all right, I can't be, I can't live my sexual life or intimate life. So I'm going to indoctrinate it on, you know, my followers that, you know, intimacy and personal relationships um and physical relationships and being being physical with people um is gonna be outlawed it's gonna be part of my you know uh part of the rules uh i forgot what you what, what it was called in there it was no, like the 12 rules yeah, uh, no well, well they said being sensual anything that you touch yourself or like you touch other people's old yeah like they he made them he made them he made them chart whenever they had nocturnal emissions so like they had to chart their wet dreams like yeah um yeah so like with the well it was a duo the the people in charge it was tea and dope which is like based on uh sound of music which is weird i always say the weirdest things come from pop culture but he was a quiet he was a choir teacher um at Alabama. It was uh, mm-hmm. I think it was Alabama before he did this. So yeah, so that, that's probably why yeah. sound of music was you mm-hmm. know Yeah, he was in, yeah, he did plays too. Yeah, he did like uh operas and everything. But uh what I, one of the things these random things I'm going to pop up with you is uh broken people being taught by broken people because obviously he was he had father issues. So everything he would talk about about like Jesus and 
you know, Heavenly Father, like he would equate, he's basically talking about himself with his dad, like, like his father. And like, it's so obvious looking back. And then uh, his, his partner um, obviously had issues. Um, she left her family and they went on the road together for a couple of years, started doing drugs. Cause this was like 1970, 71. So like psychedelics and like acid was like prevalent. Um, it was seen as like a good thing to do. It wasn't seen as like a weird fringe thing. Like I always say bring up fringe, but it was part of like a you know popular thing to try out. It's like people now with like trying CrossFit. They're like, hey, we're gonna try CrossFit. Hey, I'm gonna try acid. You know? <laughs> so and they were bright and then they were at the lowest. You meet people in your lowest, you know, you guys connect and then this this has turned into a crazy finding finding followers. Um like one of the interesting things was they like they got a um or they recruited like an actor just like good looking hollywood type guy and he was like their spokesman for a while and it was just like weird uh i actually read a book one time uh it was like a sci-fi book from the 70s and it just showed me that like it was so prevalent it, it came back in the 90s ironically when this cult thing came to a came to the uh came to the end where like self-help people came back into the into the fold like Remember that lady who had the shaved head and she was like a white hair and like she was kind of like a uh, improve your life and then you had like you know Tony Robbins and everything, yeah. but that was based on also the seventies too where they're it was seen as a Sydney, normal thing. Sydney Powder, I think was her name. Yeah, Powder. Yeah, I knew it was something with like uh, that because like the hair and everything. But uh, yeah, so in Taibo is even another one like a fitness one. Yeah. But in the seventies, it didn't seem that like out there to be following a singular or a duo. Um. That was fascinating to me. And then they were so self-aware is another thing that I found fascinating where like, you know, the, they videotaped everything much like another uh, group, Scientology. Uh, they filmed everything. They had people like talk about themselves on camera. Um, they all had the same haircuts. Like really, that was another weird thing. Um, uh, but basically um, they were self-aware within the fact that they were in the eight in the in the eighties, they brought up how um, Jim, the Jim Jones thing um, that happened like eighty one, I think, and it became a popular thing, saying like, oh, because they drank Kool Aid and they all like you've seen the footage. Because this is another weird thing, because it's like it's on camera, like we've seen it, like we've seen all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's it's current, so they you see this, they're self aware about it that people are calling them a cult, and they're like, we're not a cult and everything. Um. It just is very interesting, and then in the nineties, um, but they became another parody of like a cult. They became because they were all wearing the same outfit, all wearing Nikes jumpsuits. Um, what they did was like they ingested, you know, like the not a different version of like kind of like fentanyl, like like a sleeping uh, thing you use in surgery, mm-hmm. right? So they all did it at the same time. Um, there was a um, anonymous call to the cops saying that I guess someone found him or something, or maybe that he was like a former member. Like Thirty-nine people. Yeah, yeah, he was like um, a former member, but he was still rece- he was still receiving. I think he left on good terms, so he he was still mm-hmm. able to receive like their like newsletter or whatever, like their bulletin. So that's that's how he. He was able to to know about the quote unquote exit, right? And the exit. We're bearing the lead here. We didn't even bring it up that they believe that the, there was a UFO going to come and 
bring them into the literal heaven and you couldn't like you couldn't um like die and go to you know everyone says oh you die and go to heaven like that's the thing there's like you literally were going to get physically brought up in a ship and they would always bring up like star trek references like that show came out in like 64 and, and ironically and, about, like, and ironically in the show nichols um who played the war you in star trek her brother was one of the members who died who was part of the mass yeah. suicide it is crazy that like um i i, I can get into it in a different segment but about how like pop culture influences make creates these organizations i i brought up just a couple minutes ago but i mentioned how like the uh gw griffith birth of a nation mm-hmm. revitalized like the kkk and it was a movie um like this is like they were they were inspired by like sci-fi movies and stuff like that and they created they created this whole like subsection of like a quasi christian you know uh ancient aliens um belief that like um I don't know. I just think it's like lost people that are lost and a lot of people that are heavily uh, on like drugs and stuff. And they're just like, they should be, um, uh, they should be like on other types of drugs. And, you know, like they should be, you know what I'm talking about? Like prescription drugs that I know they're drugs are drugs, but this isn't a hallucinogenics and you don't become like, you don't think you become like a freaking uh, God, you know, they became like these people tea and do dough whatever they can they basically just got a uh, power a power trip i think because they they didn't have like any other source of like you know pleasure or whatever because like they obviously outlawed like sex and stuff and um they use that like the the power they were like abused all these people were abused but like they they had the right to leave like i was talking to my girlfriend she's like oh well they had the right to leave and go back and forth but no, but then you you give these people. Um, I I brought up uh, Stockholm syndrome. You familiar with Stockholm syndrome? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you you become so, more unfamiliar with your your captors. You you yeah. Right, and then like they having a lot with people who got kidnapped, where they were like allowed to go to the grocery store for them. We've seen that a lot in the last twenty years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of young sex trafficking. They're allowed to leave and come back. They don't leave. They 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 become um dependent on their their um how, you know their leaders or whatever or whatever word you want to use for them that's why i brought it up i just think it's fascinating that um that it was going on and it was in the news even in the 70s that there these like these people think they're going to get it uh, saved by a ufo yeah. and like it was in the papers and there was miss missing people reports uh it went on for 24 years and 39 people died yeah, and you they, know, willing they, they don't, and they made jokes about it on SNL a week later. And they, um, you know, yeah, I, I saw that part. Um, oh, they, and, I didn't know they brought it up. And then they also used to go around. Um, I guess they would uh, rent spaces at like community centers and stuff like that to like recruit people. And like you know, they would have these sessions, and like people would like call them out on like their BS, and they videotaped, you know, the sessions and they also videotaped like, you know, the van that they pulled up in the van ride back to like, you know, wherever the hell they were going back to their compound or whatever. 
and they basically justified it like you know they discussed like people bringing up like oh like how can you believe this blah 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 and like one of the guys was like you're asking us like how can we believe like in what we believe in but yet like you go to like church every sunday and you believe in like a, a god that you can't see but you know you don't you don't understand why we don't understand this and it, like it to me i found that that was one of the few like interesting points and i was like yeah well you know no yeah I, I think i briefly touched on it earlier where like it's so new that it's on it's on video you know there, there's records of it like in the last few decades ago you know there's you know but we have a, a acknowledgement of these things from thousands of years ago that actually were considered cults back then too like um uh, historical um historical records of early christianity there were like 300 different groups and up until like 400 AD or around there, 400, there was not one like pope. There wasn't one like established doctrine of this is what it means to be a follower. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was so many different groups, um, and everything just kind of got like put together uh, in in a historical sense. Uh, like there was a group that was about um, eating, like. Um, obviously when we, if you go to mass for catholicism it's like you eat the bread and it becomes you know but then that's an establishing where people there's billions of followers around the world but that's about eating someone you know it's like about ingesting someone you know so um i just find it fascinating that there's another you know like scientology too where um if you read their you know you know their uh you know you get indoctrinated into that that's going on and if you ever seen the movie the master it's like a biopic of or a quasi biopic of um l ron hubbard uh l ron hubbard and he was a failed sci-fi writer you know uh a transient who had didn't know what was going on like he he just fell into this whole thing about getting this power trip and now it's one of the biggest you know if you go to the uk that's like one of the biggest religions in the uk for some reason if, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Like, it's like really prevalent in the UK. Yeah. But basically, yeah, I'm just fascinated. That's one part too that that drew me into it too. So I mean, you are on the same page. Um, also, I, I had a nice nostalgia for it because uh, uh, I was always fascinated. I was like, this is like really weird. And uh, now it's another meme now. But I used to always see that picture of that guy at the end. Uh, you know, because he filmed all his. Uh, lessons or meetings and stuff and it just always stuck with me and um i think it's like what's going on now like what like is there another thing going on now that we don't know about or are they talking about it that it could end in the same way i don't know like we said like um jim jones that was like 16 you said 1981 so like 16 or so years now, before this happened mm-hmm. so you know it, it, it ain't it ain't out it, it isn't and then in between that was like waco um yeah 94 yeah so and that like, was that was religious too you know so but, but that, hey that's the difference let me uh this is what i forgot to mention this is what i was harping on saying that like this is the one cult where it's not about sex it's like the complete opposite of sex 
usually like the Waco, he he was having sex with people's wives before they even were together. Like before they got married, he would have sex with them. Like they did that shit like in like the medieval times. Hmm. Just to have power over you. Um what are those, like King's Right. King, King's, King's Right or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Where King yeah, like yeah. slept with your wife yeah. before you did. Just yeah, he had to consummate the marriage. History yeah. is weird, but um you know, like like I said, I think like the thing like that going in there what i wanted was like to understand like how one would be like you know it's like star wars how do you get seduced by the dark side like how do you get you know seduced by a cult and i didn't really get that understanding and but i think the thing that i do understand is like i, I walked into watching you know the, the this this um series and i was skeptical about it and i still walked out of it being skeptical so i think that's you know when i mm. when i say i wouldn't be i don't i don't think i could become part of a cult like i think that's the thing that would keep me out of it i'm gonna be skeptical like you could try to explain something to me but i'm still gonna be like hold on all right this this part don't make sense like i'll harp on one part of your thing that you said won't make sense sense mm. and that would keep me from going all in like even things i actually do believe in like i you know i talk about being a, a yankee fan but you know we talk about you know blacks in baseball and i still have to like contend that like probably like the first 10 or so yankee championships didn't include like mm. a black player until us and howard game around so it's, it's always going to be that small like crack where i'm like all right this is like you you're you're like the be all end all but this this is your flaw. Like I always find that 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 weakness in in your thing, and I think that would, is what would keep me away from it. I think also, uh, well, we're both we're both Gemini's. So I think we're. Uh, I think that also means uh, not not lone wolves, but like you have your own independent thought. Mm-hmm. I always think I always feel like I have I I can bounce around between different people, you know. But like. Um, I have my own opinion and I never have been someone to like just blindly follow people. Yeah. Yeah. On top of that, like my, I always thought the one thing my father like said to me when I was like five years old, I always stuck with me is like, he, he said, always be a leader. Don't ever be a follower. Like, yeah. You know, don't let people like, you know, have an impression on you that makes you, um, their follower so that's, that's the one thing that always stays in my mind when it comes to something like that um final thoughts yeah final thoughts on uh, on on everything yeah okay so first off um seems to be with uh biopics like musical biopics in the last multiple years i feel like that's a move that comes out every year and it's always up for like best picture of the year, you know. Bohemian Rhapsody won. Uh, the year after was Elton John. Uh, we had Ray. Um, going way back, we had um, um, Tina Turner was a huge one. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's love got to do with it? Um, the Elvis. There was a multiple Elvis ones. There was a Buddy Holly one. These movies were regarded in, in um, and it's. It's really hard to um, portray someone that's like so well known. Like how many like Elvis movies, and then uh, we had um, you know Chadwick Boseman played uh, uh, James Brown. We talked about that I think during the tribute where 
how do you you know how do you play someone that's like so well known and with especially with music like you you hear the voice and like it's like part of ingrained in like society like this this music is in america especially music is huge and music and sports are like the biggest thing i think so it, it it means a lot for an actor to be able to successfully uh portray like like a musician because it's such a it's a different thing than playing someone else like um we mentioned johnny Depp playing a character that we never seen before maybe on like a documentary about like the crime the crime organization we wouldn't know who he was so johnny depp had the the freedom to uh give his own his own spin on the character but we they actors who portray musicians have to straight up uh be them while also giving their themselves the creative freedom to make them make it their own that's why i think it's hard for these films to be made i mentioned the doors there's so many other ones um yeah i think uh i think a lot of people want to be rock stars right um and a lot of these movies are like kind of sad like a downfall of a lot of them yeah so it shows that like um even though like this music brings a lot of positivity to our lives soundtrack to our lives the people that made them were like kind of uh tragic tragic characters that's another thing that pulls i think pulls a lot of people into these these stories selena beautiful woman and a girl um ended tragically and it's, it's always sad i don't know why the music industry is so tragic with that um with the the new league the mlb um i feel like most well a lot of people already recognize the players they already recognize them as being part of baseball not just major league baseball we even said that it wasn't called major league baseball you know, it wasn't always called Major League Baseball because it was uh, different leagues and the World Series was its own thing. Um, not until the last 50, uh, 25 years did they play each other during the, the year, which totally, totally just intertwined them. They're the same thing now. Um, I think it's, it, you know, it's important for the next generation to um, where it's like a normal, where it's like part of the standard. Um so every, anyway, we have our opinion now, but I think it's for the future. Uh, it's, it's it's for the future. So the naysayers or the detractors to it, and then us hyping. You know, if we hype it up, it's just for the future. Um, we talked about the cult thing. Um, I just find it fascinating. Um, I know you thought it was boring, or you know what? To be honest, after I told you about it, the next episode I watched, I was like. It's kind of the same shit. This could have been one episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, it could have been one episode. Um, all I wanted that was, to... that was probably like my my, my, my takeaway. Yeah, it was probably just yeah, too so long. It, it was a lot of nothing. Yeah. Background. Well, they had to like they had to push it. It's max, and you know, they're trying to like get more people. So it could have been pre, like how people got involved. The the thing that happened, like like or the the background of the leaders. And then also the um, the crime, the, the, mm-hmm. the end of it. And then uh, what about the people who left? Like that three things is all you needed to cover. You could have done that in like an hour and a half or an hour 45. We had another documentary that came out this year. Oh, Tiger King. And we, you have your feelings about it. That dude was a goddamn cult leader too. 
these people, he would bring in people that were broken. And he established a uh, he established a dynamic where they were reliant on him, and they were in shitty conditions. Um, but he was like he would come out of a, a trailer and he'd be like, like like he was in like he was like a freaking dem- like like a like a like a god like he was like I'm the leader or king you know he'd be like oh, Tiger King yeah but he would come out and like they were so reliant on him he would get people that were hitchhikers runaways or ex convicts who couldn't get any other jobs. A lot of the people with these cults, they may be left already. They maybe they might have left their ha- their homes in the '60s and became like the hippie type movement. And they're you've seen it. a lot of their family were um, they had mount money for them to missing. I'm not sure if it was a documentary, but they had like reward money for finding who where they where they are or like bringing them back to them. So a lot of the people that were like hippies were from like affluent families or like upper middle class. So they were like looking for a new like oh I need something I need something different, and they got involved with the heavy movement drugs. Uh, how where do you go from there? And then you find something that you think is going to be the answer. And sorry guys, like the, life is about questions. You don't really get a lot of answers. I mean, does that sound depressing? I don't know. But yeah, that's, you know that's my takeaway from. Uh, three subjects usually i have like a tie-in for all three of them but not this time i don't think i have a no i don't have a usually we do though but not this time yeah and the interesting thing about like the interesting thing about like tiger king and like you know the leader of um heaven's gate they have something in common but you know i'm not gonna go too far into that (laughs) but because i don't want to get in trouble but you know they do have something in common I'll I'll let the experts speculate on that. Um, but Heaven's Gate, like I said, I I think like I was the reason why I wasn't not interested in into it. Like Mike said, it kind of it was like too long for it. It was extremely long for the subject matter. Like it actually could have really been wrapped up in like you know maybe like a one and a half hour um, episode or one and a half hour like documentary it didn't really need to be split into four parts but i was looking for understanding and i didn't really find it i think that's where um my dissatisfaction from it came um selena one of my favorite um musical biopics and actually like my first answer when i thought about what is my favorite like biopic I actually, my first answer was the Temptations miniseries, but it was like a television miniseries, so I don't think it counted. Also, like um, the Jacksons American Dream, which was, you know, also a miniseries. It, it kind of like, but say, yeah. yeah, but I actually, when I first saw those, um, they weren't in like miniseries form. They were like in, you know, televised um, movie form. So yeah. I, I couldn't include those two. And then um, Malcolm X, one of my favorite biopics of all time, and also leads into the last subject we discussed, which was like the major leagues, because I've been thinking about, you know, the more and more like I learn about like Jackie Robinson and, you know, the color barrier, barrier in baseball, I think back to when I saw 42 with the late great Chadwick Boseman, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, this would have been a way better 
um, movie, if it was either done like Malcolm X, where it's like, all right, we're including like everything, and it's going to be this super long movie, or somehow, some way, they would have split it into like um, two parts because the the mm-hmm. movie only really counted it really only recounted his first season um when in actuality you know and it showed him like kind of like being um you know trying to be uh have the courage to not like fight back and stuff like that but the fact is that branch ricky actually told him like you know don't fight back don't get into no arguments with the umpires. Don't get into no arguments with the opposing team for your first three years. For your first three years. After that, like, you, you know, like the 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 reins are off. Like, you could do whatever you want. And he actually became really, like, vocal and combative in his later career, but it wasn't covered in the film. So it just showed him as, like, this... um guide i just had to take it but it didn't show him dishing it out it didn't show um him you know the civil rights work that he did uh in the 60s and it also didn't show the tragic um uh his tragic death that you know he died his his wife now has like outlived him for like 50 years like he died really really young um and Chad, but Chadwick Boseman did an excellent job. So that's up there with like the biopics, and it really shows, you know, uh, how like you know players, black players, when finally given to the op- given the opportunity, you know, really persevered and basically, um, you know, broke broke uh, barriers. Um, but before I head out, uh, me and Mike head out. Um, talking about Chadwick Boseman, he actually his final movie was finally released on Netflix. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it's excellent. It's an hour and a half minutes long. Um, it's based off of uh, August Wilson play, who's a famous uh, African American playwright. It's produced by Denzel Washington. It features Viola Davis. It features. Coleman Domingo, who we talked about from um, Euphoria, he he plays a supporting role in it. And on Chadwick Boseman's performance, I tweeted that Chadwick Boseman said what he had to say, and then left us and closed the door behind. Like that. That's the one way I would um, I would summarize his performance in our movie. He really left with a bang because he did such a phenomenal job in that film. Um, it's another film like me and Mike talk about where like the material, you know, it ain't really our cup of tea, but the acting is great. Like everybody's great in it. Viola, Coleman, uh, Glenn Thurman. Um, mm. Everybody's great in it. So I, I know Mike, you probably haven't seen it yet. So I'm, uh, uh, yeah, I heard it. I read about it when he passed, when he, when he passed, when we did you know, back in uh, August um, around that time. Uh, then I saw it last night. Actually, I saw the commercial for it. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, while we were, uh, I was looking for an opportunity to bring this up. That I brought up what James Brown. He played James Brown. Yeah. He played Jackie Robinson, and I said that's like the hardest thing is to. We talked about it on the tribute, but like to portray someone that everyone knows yeah. and actually like make it your own. So, so check out Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix, 
And this has been episode 32 of Shug Me the Mooney, Shug Me the Mooney, Shug Me the Mooney.